0: corporations that are thinking of attracting and retaining amazing talent. It's like, how can you create these spaces that your employees can really be their full selves? Hey everyone,
1: and welcome to See at Work, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen. I help businesses build more diverse, more inclusive workplaces as C-NetWorks CEO and founder. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, Carely Lizarraga. Carely Lizarraga is an educator committed to expanding access for historically underserved communities. As Associate Director of the Center for Hispanic Excellence, La Casa Latina, Garelli has focused on supporting holistic development of the students she serves in culturally nourishing ways. Her experience as a first-generation, low-income, and undocumented student navigating the Ivy League guide her commitment to equity and social justice every day. During our time together, Garelli and I discussed the importance of building spaces for different communities across your organization. She, of course, focuses on building the Latinx community of students at UPenn, and her insight is invaluable to anyone looking to build spaces for community in any organization. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. All right. We have here Carelli, a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine, a friend, um, and someone who's been working in um, a very interesting space that touches diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're so lucky to have you, Kareli. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here with you.
1: Of course, of course. So uh, please introduce yourself. Get us acclimated to what you've been doing and how long you've been doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hi, everyone. My name's Kareli. My pronouns are she, her, and ella. And I have been working for the last, actually for most of my career around uh, just creating more opportunities and expanding pathways for historically underrepresented communities. And I've done that both as a middle school teacher, teaching seventh grade reading in Denver, Colorado, to then becoming a recruitment manager and encouraging more first-generation, low-income students and other diverse populations to become teachers and work directly in the classroom. And now I have been working at the University of Pennsylvania um, at La Casa Latina, which is a super special place to me. Um, I was a first-gen, low-income and undocumented student while I was a student at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, And then home for me is Arizona. So coming to the East Coast, coming into the Ivy League was a culture shock on so many different levels. And I found spaces and staff and faculty at La Casa Latina that completely nourished me, gave me so much cultural nourishment. And I don't think at the time I would have called it professional development, but that's what it truly was. And I eventually found myself at La Casa, now as a professional leading a lot of our initiatives and our programming to make sure that Latinx students and all of the students and community members that come into our space really feel seen and really feel like they can bring all aspects of their identity and experiences and have those valued and have those uplifted Um, so that they can then pursue their dreams, whether it be at Penn and just in the world at large. So Mm -hmm. I get to have a really special job nourishing and supporting um, leaders at Penn.
1: That sounds amazing. And it's such great work that you do, really supporting students. And you talk about this being a role that encourages inclusion within the context
0: of the student's experience, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that for a lot of students that may be first generation or have not seen themselves represented to the full extent in higher education or multiple institutions, when you come into these spaces, a lot of the imposter syndrome pops up. I know it definitely did for me. um, Where you come in and you're like, how did I get here? Why did they pick me? They made a mistake. And so you don't get to use the the resources available to you, the experiences available to you, because you're spending so much time wondering why you're there. Yeah. And so I see so much of my role as okay, let's, if this is where you're at right now, if you're experiencing this. I hear it, I see it, but I wanna get you out of that space as quick as possible so that you can be where you're supposed to be, which is here, which is becoming an amazing student, an amazing leader, and then an amazing professional. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see it as how do we then make sure that the environments at Penn and in higher education in general are making sure that our students really see themselves as integral members of the community,
1: mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate that that you are really developing that um, that sense of self and that sense of I belong here, because I know whether that whether it be in the university context or even in the company context, there are so many young young professionals or professionals broadly, especially those of us who are underrepresented in our industries or in our companies or who might not have family members or people that we knew who were in those spaces previously, it can feel really daunting. And that imposter syndrome is so real. So I just appreciate that you have that context. And I know you came with some initiatives or one or two that you wanted to talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, when I started my role as the associate director at La Casa, One of the things that I really wanted to develop was a mentorship program that really brought in all of the members of the La Casa and Latinx community at Penn and also provided like very concrete and just like broader measures on supporting our students. So I developed the Familias Mentorship Program, which partners an incoming first, first year student with an upper class student. So a junior or a soph or a senior and a graduate student and an alum. To really oh, wow. expose our mm-hmm. students to just different professional and academic pathways Um, I think for myself, I'm like, I didn't know that there were like five professions that I thought four or five professions. I thought you could be teacher, lawyer, doctor, accountant. And then after that, I was like, the world is so big and broad and I have no idea how to navigate that. And so I wanted to make sure that our students were connected to different professionals and people in different different um, paths in their career, different moments in in like the timeline in their career Mm -hmm. um, so that they could get that support um, and also get some insight as to navigate a place like Penn. Mm -hmm. And the decision to do this really came from a lot of the research that I was doing around higher education and how do we support students from an asset model, um, not looking at them as like deficits and things that we need to fix and things that we need to address, but looking at all of the strengths that our students bring. So I was particularly interested in uh, Dr. Tara Yoso, and she looks at um, this model of cultural wealth is what she calls it. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how marginalized students, how students that are underrepresented have to build these competencies and these resiliencies in order to navigate these spaces. So they come in with, um, she calls it aspirational capital, which Mm -hmm. is this like commitment to following your dreams, which I was like, that is such a beautiful concept. Um, Familial capital, which is like building connections. Um, and building support networks that will help you get to where you're supposed to be where you want to be. Um, She talks about uh, linguistic capital, how um, underrepresented communities are so good at navigating different forms of communication, different languages. Um, So I really wanted to like harness that. Mm-hmm. and have our mentors, whether they be alumni that are five, 10 years, 15 years out of college or graduate students that are doing research, um, really share this with our with our students, with mm-hmm. our first year students and also with each other. I feel like it's a lot of lateral mentorship that is happening within familias um, where, a graduate student that may be a little bit older, may have more experience, is able to mentor and support a more recent alumni. So that's been really cool to see that happen. Um, so yeah, that's like one of the programs that I have been able to develop, been able to assess, and that I feel really, really passionate about.
1: I love that. And I didn't realize, I think you told me a little bit about the mentorship program, but I didn't realize how extensive it was, how many people it connects the student to, and I also appreciate you sharing the framework that you're thinking about it through, right, the asset-based framework, which I also think is really useful for people who are seeking to be more inclusive leaders, to be thinking about their um, their team members, those who are coming to them as having you know, such amazing um, assets, even if maybe they are not as experienced in the industry or in the space or in the company. And it's just a helpful way to think about it. When I think about the mentorship program in particular, and all of these different people that you connected them to, have you noticed what the benefits are to having them connected to say an alum? Like, is there anything that's really powerful in that, that you've seen?
0: Yeah. So, It's been really amazing to have students say like, oh, so-and-so person connected me to this internship that I didn't even know existed. Mm. Or they let me know about this program at Penn and how to apply for a grant and how to navigate that. So alums are really great because they've been in the spaces where our students are at now. And so they kind of have like the, the foresight to say like, hey, this was an obstacle I encountered. Or these were some of the questions that I had that I or that I didn't even know I had. So I'm gonna just share with you um, what I found most helpful. So we've had alums connect students with, um, with internships, but also just share like in really open and vulnerable ways, um, the challenges that they've experienced um, and also just helping students navigate everything from like professional development to also conversations with professors, with, um, with supervisors, mm-hmm. and those are things that I didn't even, as I was developing the program, didn't necessarily think were going to happen, but these partnerships are one year long, so th- throughout that year, folks really get to know one another, really get to open up, so that's been really great to see.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you mentioned too that you, and probably these mentors, are having a lot of conversations with the students to support them in maybe some of that imposter syndrome. Are there more um, experiences that you've had in supporting those conversations or in supporting those
0: concerns that they might have? Yeah, so one of the aspects of the program are that we do a lot of full group gatherings, So students have the ability to connect with their individual familia, their individual pod, but then we also connect as the full group. So we come together for what we call general body meetings once a month. And then we also come together for like additional prep uh, programming, what we call grad sin as, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But in the monthly programs, we, I've been asking professional spaces I've, um, and other resource centers at the university to come in and co-lead a professional development session. Mm. So we have had, for example, counseling and psychological services come in and help our students create some, um, some skills around like anxiety that they may be feeling at this moment, how to navigate some challenges that we've all been experiencing as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've also had career services, for example, come in and tell students like, okay, this is how you should have your LinkedIn profile look if you're interested in this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So really making these spaces a lot more accessible for our students while also building like concrete skills and professional development, to hopefully like when they have those doubts, when they have those questions, they also have those skills and those experiences to answer back at that little voice that's nagging at them and be like, actually, no, I know how to do this. Um, And I have so many other people in my corner telling me that I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other program that we have is called Grad Sin So that has uh, every like three weeks, we have a graduating senior and a graduate student come in and kind of share what we call testimonials, share a little bit about their professional and personal journey to Penn, at Penn, and what they hope to do after graduation. Mm -hmm. And that is in a direct effort to address what at Penn is often called Penn Face, which is a like you say everything is great, everything is fine, but internally you're having all of these doubts, all of these struggles. So creating a space where our students are feel safe enough to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. to be open, but also to share best practices, to share all that they've overcome. So mm-hmm. that's kind of been how we've been addressing a lot of the issues that have been coming up for our students.
1: Those are such cool events. And they remind me actually of a lot of what we see employee resource groups do within companies, right? The Mm. level of support, even in the mentorship program, and then beyond that in the events and communities that are built around those events. And that openness of storytelling is so beautiful. That is awesome. You're doing cool work. Thank you. I wanted to hear more about I think sometimes when we think about the these employee resource groups or about groups that are formed to support a particular community, mm-hmm. to speak more broadly about them, we, we often kind of think of them as being just there to support that community. And I wonder if you can speak to, number one, maybe the diversity of the Latinx community, mm-hmm. but then also to how you're touching all aspects, really, of the, the student experience within Penn and not just for those who are Latinx.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there is a lot of diversity within the Latinx diaspora, within the Latinx community. Um, And I always want, love to remind folks that Latinx people can be black, can be white, can be indigenous, can be Asian. Um, And so you have all of these different experiences and backgrounds coming to La Casa Latina. Um, And then aside from like race and ethnicity, we also have students who are like looking at their Latinidad in relationship to their queerness, for example. Um, So these are all things that we really want to support to encourage students to really bring their full selves. So I work really closely with our partners at MACU, mm-hmm. for example, the Black Cultural Center at Penn, mm-hmm. the LGBT Center, the Penn Women's Center, mm-hmm. so that we can constantly create experiences and support systems mm-hmm. for the intersectional identities that our students bring to the table. Um, and so, for example, I think to this past summer where we had so many conversations and so many experiences directly addressing anti-Blackness in the United States um, and racial violence. And I created a lot of spaces to address the anti-Blackness within the Latinx community and also make sure that we were centering and supporting the voices of our Afro-Latinx students. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, how do we make sure that we are not defining Latinidad as just one thing? Um, or that we're not limiting who feels supported um, and further marginalizing students that are minorities within a minoritized group. Um, So that's something that I've been really thinking about, like how are we like as intentional as possible Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: about how our students feel, how our students, um, all aspects of their identity get to be uplifted.
1: Yeah, no, and I think, that you know that that deserves to be mentioned because what you're doing really touches so many different um parts of the pen community because people are so complex and you mentioned intersectionality right through all of these different dimensions to
0: our identity yeah absolutely and i think the other thing that i would add too is that often Penn is a pretty big school and I think a lot of times in higher education, one of the issues is like there's this hidden curriculum where you come in and you're like, oh, there's all of these other things that my friends Mm -hmm. whose families have been to college, they seem to know what to do, like what classes to register for or what a resume is or when to apply to internships. So I really see our role as being kind of like that first line of support and of making this really broad university with amazing resources a lot more accessible and connecting students to the different resources, Mm -hmm. uh, the different like pathways that they should, they could possibly explore.
1: Yeah, no, my mind is sparking all of these connections between what you're describing and also what I see a lot of people leaders and companies do. I don't know if, you uh, want to venture into the world of when your students become professionals, how you would hope some of what you're doing gets translated into some of these workplaces. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, would be curious to hear it, and I'm sure people listening would be
0: interested too. Yeah, um, you know, I have had like alums, for example, in that first year return, and one of the things that they say is they're like, Oh, there's no like la casas in my job, and or like a maku or um, a pen, like LGBT center. They're like we don't have those in my in my job, um, and students talking about how much they miss those and like would really appreciate those additional resources and not just resources but spaces where they feel like they're truly seen, Mm -hmm. where they are truly supported and can be their fullest selves. Mm -hmm. And so I think for corporations that are thinking of attracting and retaining amazing talent from diverse communities, from different spaces and experiences, it's like, how can you create these spaces that your employees can really be their full selves and I think of all of the amazing things that I've been able to do in spaces where I feel really validated where the things I bring to the table where I don't have to not just think of okay how do I solve this problem but how do I solve this problem in a way that I think I'm supposed to solve it Hmm. um and so I think when you no longer have to do that, you can spend a lot more time and energy, like really focusing on the work that you want to do, on the solutions that you want to accomplish. Um, and I know that sounds like really broad in general, but it's like I want, I really encourage um, corporate spaces to think about how they can really create spaces like this where their employees can. Be, be, be people and be like fully supported people. Mm-hmm. No, thank you for connecting the dots there.
1: I think that's huge. Not every organization has that by far. So yeah. uh, um, I, I did wanna hear more about, you talked about a lot of different things that you do within La Casa. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear what challenges, if any, you feel like you've encountered over the course of your time with La Casa or building these kinds of communities generally?
0: Yeah, I think I am very lucky in that I am in an institution where I feel like the work that we do is really valued and where it is supported. Um, And I think that I feel really excited about. The other, what some of the challenges are, how do I make an institution that and a lot of higher education in general, it was not designed mm-hmm. for the students that I serve, primarily in mind institutions that are hundreds of years old. Um, so it's like, how do we expand the reaches of La Casa Latina, um, not just beyond the students that I immediately support, but how do we scale our efforts? Mm-hmm. We are not a massive staff by any means. so. It's a lot of work, it's a big population of students. So how do we make sure that we are able to scale our efforts to support as many students and professionals as possible that come to our center while also maintaining that sense of connection, that sense of community. Um, I will say that in this time where we're all connecting over Zoom, that uh, the ability to use these different technologies has been helpful. Um, it's also made our space a little bit more open. So I I have had a couple of folks that would not have traditionally entered La Casa Latina for whatever reason mm-hmm. now join us on Zoom and they're like, Oh, okay, I've gotten to learn a little bit more about the work, about the efforts that you all have um, in supporting students. So
1: that's awesome. That's
0: been really exciting to see.
1: Yeah. And so it sounds like technology has actually been helpful for you guys.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, Definitely does not fully replace the Mm -hmm. in-person connection. Nothing ever will. But it has been really cool to see how communities have kind of just like been like, okay, this is where we're at. How can we still make sure we're supporting one another? How can we make sure that we're connecting each other to the resources and mm-hmm. the supports that we need.
1: Mm-hmm. You um, started with the challenge about uh, related to the fact that Penn is a huge, huge school. It's also a very old, old institution. How does that translate into actually being a, a, a challenge point for you? You know, <clears throat> how does that make it so? How does that? translate into real life? (laughs) What does that look like when it becomes a challenge?
0: Yeah, I think, I'm I'm trying to think of like an an exact example, Um, but I think like, for example, the conversation around um, undocumented or documented students um, of it's a, it's a, a campus that's like, okay, we want to make sure that this population of students feel supported but it's helping them translate and understand, um, OK, what does this look like in terms of admissions? Um, of What does this look like in terms of um, financial aid? Mm-hmm. What does this look like in terms of once um, students are here, the courses that they're able to take, the internships that they're able to apply to or not apply to? Um, So it's letting institutions know like, this is actually in your best interest because this is how you're able to attract and graduate amazing students that are then going to become amazing alums that are going to feel connected to this community that invested so much in them. Um, So helping institutions see like, this feels challenging and scary right now. And this this is the right thing to do And this is the best thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally see. It's like the systemic change of it, right? Because everybody's used to doing things a certain way or used to a certain system. And to make that change, it requires so much effort and energy and commitment. So I can totally see how that would be a difficult challenge. Yeah. Um, Any others that might be specific to the actual community building that you're doing? Any other challenges that come forward?
0: I think some of the challenges um, that I think of too is just where people are at, like when students come in, um, and pe- students are on very different continuums around like their own identity and what they identify as, um, and their desire to be like connected to a specific community or not, and for like different reasons. So one of our challenges has been like, when students need those resources and those supports, even if they don't come to La Casa Latina, even if they don't come to our events, even if they don't identify as Latinx, but still connecting them to what it is that they need. So how do we make sure that we get in front of students um, and meet them where they're at? Sometimes students ask um, everything from questions like, well, why do you use, the term la casa latina and not la casa hispana for example um and so i always see that as like oh well let's have a conversation around that around language and around building inclusive language um and also thinking about like well when we use the term latino or latina or latinx who still feels left out um of this umbrella term so that's Not so much a challenge, but I I would say kind of like an opportunity that we need to see how do we connect with people that are just in very different places of of their experience. Like, I think my own experience uh, in undergrad, I didn't come to La Casa until my sophomore year um, because I was just like, well, I want to explore other interests that I have, other aspects of my identity. Um, And then I came to La Casa because I just felt like something was still missing. Um, something that I wasn't getting in my in my classes, something that I wasn't getting with a lot of my peer groups. Um, and La Casa, when I came in, they recognized like, okay, these are the experiences that y- you want to develop. These are the aspects of your identity that you haven't been able to talk about or explore. Um, and really having the space to do that and explore that and not be judged was incredibly helpful.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And as I think about your work, I imagine that for you personally, there may be some, I don't know if challenges is the right word, but like areas where you yourself are also growing and learning and attempting to develop your understanding, not necessarily maybe your own identity, but how this then translates into all of these different students and their, their understanding, their identity, what do you usually do? What do you, um, reach for or look at to, to try to build that kind of competency for yourself?
0: Yeah, I read a lot. Um, it's, I, I was telling a friend, I'm like, I feel like I read the way people run, um, you know, to clear their head, to get new ideas. Um, that's, I love reading, um, by Black, works by Black and Brown authors. Um, so that's been really helpful because it's helped me expand my imagination. Um, my, it's presented me to different perspectives. And then I also reach out to other professionals that are doing this work in higher education, um, whether it be other professionals in the Ivy League or that are looking working in public institutions um, that are even bigger than Penn, but just to get different points of understanding um, and to understand how folks are navigating like the different challenges that we're being presented with mm-hmm. um, so that's what I have been really I have found really helpful mm-hmm. and then I I'll, I would also add the students that I work with um, I get to work with a lot of Gen Z uh, and they're amazing they are They have like questions and they have ideas that even now I was like, oh, I never thought about it that way. And I think, like, when I was in college, we were starting to have a lot of conversations around like mental health Mm -hmm. and um, identity and trying to see, like, okay, how do we fit this in? But I think a lot of Gen Z students are like, okay. Well, clearly this model hasn't been working. Um, What about trying this? So I have really appreciated how the students I work with have really like helped me expand my imagination of what is possible Mm -hmm. um, and of unlearning and learning. Um, So that has been really, really exciting.
1: Yeah, and I guess even opening yourself up to learning and unlearning Based on what your uh, the people you're working most closely with, your students are saying and telling you, that's awesome. I wanted to ask if you had any advice for those of us who are in this space, and if you can maybe share some advice for those who are working in higher ed, but also those who are working in companies with with your your students who will be professionals. Um, What advice do you have for us as we try to build spaces like La Casa or try to support communities in in a similar way?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think first it's like recognizing that this work is, it can be really tiring and it can be incredibly demanding um, because we are challenging systems that for a lot of people, these systems still work and it's getting people to recognize like, this may be working for you, but it's not working for a big chunk of the population. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that can be really tiring. And so like my advice around that is like really creating boundaries and taking care of ourselves because you cannot fight these systems of oppression if you yourself feel so tired and depleted. So I try to model that as much as possible with the students that I work with of creating boundaries around like when I have meetings or letting them know like, hey, like being really honest and transparent, like right now I'm like kind of zoomed out. So I'm gonna turn off my camera um, if that's cool with you. Um, So that has been really helpful. I think also finding like communities of other people that get to do this work as well. Mm-hmm. So I have a group me, for example of other uh, higher ed student affairs professionals. And we just have gathering spaces mm-hmm. and share ideas, but also share like being, being really honest about how we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I have found that really helpful because it can feel isolating when everyone is presenting like really positive and exciting stories and programs but you're feeling like not so great having spaces where I can be super honest about that. Um, So I would say like finding communities and I would say like the CNET work community that you're creating is really great. And because you're, you're bringing people together to bring in different perspectives and ideas. So that's amazing. So I would encourage more folks to connect with you and the work that you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I guess my advice to companies is to really like listen, but we're beyond listening now, <laughs> like really listen, but put it into action yeah. and in the same ways that you commit resources to other aspects of development, to other aspects, um, of success in your company, like see this as both like the recruiting and the inclusion of folks from minoritized communities as a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
1: Thank you. Well, I think with that, this was really a great opportunity to learn more about what you do, Kareli. It's really a, a beautiful thing that you continue to grow. Cause it sounds like you know, La Casa was there before you ended up helping to lead it. But really pushing it forward and I'm sure your students appreciate it significantly. And I can't tell you how many people say, excuse me, I can't tell you how many people say that their advice for other professionals in this work is to find more professionals in this work and build that community. (laughs) And I think it really speaks to how important that is. So thank you for being part of my DEI community. I really
0: No, and thank you so much um, for having me and for this work that you're doing. It's so, so important, especially right now.
1: Well, we'll talk next time. Absolutely.
0: Bye, Natalia.